This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Thank you, Danny Joe. That was very good. And uh, thank you, David, also. I appreciate you. And Zach. Zach filling in again this morning for Michael. I sure appreciate that. <clears throat> the um, Well, let me say first, we're going to be in, in 1 Corinthians 10 again this morning, picking up where we left off two weeks ago. 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 1 that David just read. And uh, my... I hope my greatest desire um, for everybody in this room, myself included, and for for each one of you, my greatest desire is that you that you know Christ, that I know Christ, and I mean know Him. You know, we we know a lot of things about Him. We have, like we talked about in Sunday school a little bit this morning, we have traditions handed to us, and we know to a certain degree. What is expected of us if we are to live the life that um, that people consider to be Christian? But of course, that those ideas don't always match up with God's truth. So, the the, the most important thing is that we know Him in truth, and I mean. Of course, that includes a saving knowledge that we know Him as Lord and Savior. So it's not not enough to make a profession, but our but our lives must be radically changed by the power of God. Now, admittedly, this is not something we can do on our own, but by the power of God, He changes us, and every person who professes the name of Christ ought to live with His glory in view. So, what we want to avoid, what I want to avoid, and what I want you to avoid, is running in vain. Beating the air, as it were. This is an analogy that Paul uses of a boxer who's just kind of aimlessly whipping at the air. He's not accomplishing anything as far as defeating the foe. He's not accomplishing anything as far as uh, maybe even a good workout. And that's where we left off last week. That's chapter 9, verse 26. Paul says of himself, I, I do not, first of all, I do not run aimlessly. He uses the analogy of a runner. And I do not box as one beating the air. So, he, so he's saying of himself, I have, a, I have a clear objective in view. And I'm running and boxing, competing, as it were, for a prize. Now, he says people uh, in the world do this to receive a, a wreath. And again, he's just using an analogy saying um, athletes, great athletes, go to a great effort. And we, we just uh, saw this in the, the Summer Olympics, if you watch the Olympics. These people are committed they're disciplined. In Paul's case, in his day, 
just to win a wreath. To have a wreath placed on their head and say, you know, you're the best. And in our day, it's a gold medal. But Paul is looking for something more and he wants us to look for something more. He says they do this for an imperishable, for a, for rather for a perishable wreath. Chapter 9, verse 25. But we, an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. He says, I've got goals. I've got an objective. It is to obtain eternal life. Or to, to borrow his words from Philippians, it is to know Christ that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable to His death. Paul is saying, I want to know Him in truth. I want to be like Him in every way. This is Paul's life goal. And he says, I even go so far, and I'm still in chapter 9 here, verse 27, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now again, he's using a, an athletic analogy there, and, and if somebody doesn't run according to the rules... They, they get removed from the race. Or they don't box according to the rules. They get removed from the fight. They get disqualified. If they don't measure up. We saw this. Um, anybody that was paying attention saw. Uh, I don't know if you can call them athletes. Maybe. I don't know. But we saw something similar to this play out over the last couple of weeks. They, they put referees in the NFL that weren't up to the task. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you what. There's a lot of parallels you could draw there and just... <laughs> And just wonder, you know, why, why we allow for so many things in our society that are substandard, but then when it comes to football, we're not settling for anything less than the best. But nevertheless, be that as it may, they put referees in there that weren't up to the task, and they were soon found to be, um, and were, disqualified. They were removed. They weren't disciplined enough. They weren't knowledgeable enough. Maybe they weren't, I don't know, you know, don't know them individually. Maybe they weren't committed enough. Maybe they could have been better. Who knows? But bottom line is they were disqualified because they, they couldn't do the task they were asked to do. Now, that's what Paul is saying. I, he's, he's saying, I, I don't want that to happen to me while I'm preaching to others to, to myself be disqualified. So he says, I discipline or control uh, my body. That is, I'm living a certain way because I'm, I'm trying to reach, trying to obtain a certain goal. The goal is Christ-likeness. The goal is to honor God. The goal is to edify my brothers and sisters in Christ. So I have to be disciplined in my walk, in my living, in my behavior in order to do that, it doesn't just come naturally. You know, your body, for an Olympic runner or, or something like that, your, your body doesn't just automatically jump out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and take off jogging down the street to get in shape. It requires discipline. 
That's what Paul is saying. There's an analogy there for the Christian. It doesn't just happen. It requires effort. It requires commitment. It requires self-control. All of these things fueled by love, which we'll get to later, uh, Lord willing, in chapter 13. Now, Paul says, I'm, this is what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm focused, I'm, I'm controlled, I'm disciplined because I don't want to be disqualified after preaching to others. Now, what he's doing in chapter 10 is, is turning that warning around on his hearers. In other words, he's saying this, I don't want you to be disqualified either. They're in a very dangerous position here because of their uh, wrong-headed, wrong-headedness toward the gospel, their wrong attitudes, their wrong behavior, and we've been we've been going through quite a bit of that in detail. And so Paul is is saying to them what what you are in danger of here with your lack of control, with your lack of discipline, with your lack of commitment to the glory of God and the welfare of your brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as people in the world, what he's saying is you're in danger of being disqualified. You are in danger of being found unworthy, to use a scriptural term. You are in danger of being found unqualified, not up to the task, and removed from the race. Now, in order to... to to give them some real-life examples of this actually happening. People who, who profess a knowledge of God and, and, and um, at least have, have the, uh, to, to a large extent, have the outward appearance of following God and, and yet don't make it. Again, to use the athletic analogy, they don't, they don't finish the course. They don't, they're, they're disqualified before the end of the race. They don't get the prize. They don't get the wreath, the crown, or the gold medal. To give them real life examples of that, Paul goes back to the Old Testament, to the experience of the children of Israel in the wilderness, where they perished. And he draws a, a parallel. This, again, is an analogy or a type much like the, the athletic one used in verse 9, except these things really happen. I mean, these are historical events that Paul is referring to in this portion of chapter 10. Real people, people of God, chosen of God, Israel, in real situations. God brought them out of Egypt. He's taking them to the promised land, and on the way they have to go through the wilderness. They get to the border of the promised land, and because uh, they, they reject the land and reject God's provision, they are sent to wander in the wilderness um, and spend a total there of 40 years wandering sort of aimlessly until they all perish but two or four if you count Moses and Aaron. Now, Paul's going to use that 
And we'll go through it a little bit more in detail here in a second. But Paul's going to use that as a warning to the Christians. So he's, he's saying there, there's, we've got something, um, as far as identity, we've got something in common with the Israelites of old. Verse 1, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Well, let me, let me stop here and go back to uh, the beginning of the verse for just a second. He, he does not want us ignorant of these things. In fact, that's how it's, how it's said literally in the Greek here. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers. And I mentioned before that the term brothers there is, is all-inclusive of, of, uh, of, in other words, brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters. So, so he, everything he's about to say, he, he's wanting his readers to get. He wants us to know. Because, again, the goal is, he wants them to know Christ in truth. The, the objective is not appearing spiritual or appearing religious while we live in this life. The objective is a genuine knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to walk with Him daily. To live in obedience with Him. To begin to take on His characteristics. That sounds lofty, doesn't it? That sounds impossible. But yet, that's what the Bible promises for believers. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. Now again, if you were in Sunday school, we talked some about that, on an, and actually from another passage, but we, we talked about some of that this morning. We're not going to reach perfection in this world, although we are to continually strive for it. We're commanded, be perfect, because the Lord is perfect. And, we, we can even say this, after we leave this world and are glorified, while we will be perfect in the sense of, of uh, the presence of sin, sin will be taken out of our experience so that we are no longer sinners at that point when, when we are uh, in the eternal state. But even then, we will never be like Christ in every sense. In every sense. We, we will never be, for example, have perfect knowledge. Um, we will never be omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. So when we talk about being like Christ or conforming to the image of Christ, what we're talking about is taking on His characteristics. Summed up in the word holiness. We want to be like Him in love. We want to be like Him in purity. We want to be like Him in gentleness. We want to be like Him in mercy. We want to be like Him in doing the will of the Father. We want to be like Him in love for the Father and love for the Spirit. We want to be like Him in being full of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the goal. That's, that's our, our wreath, our crown, our, our gold medal. To be like Christ. So Paul says, I don't want you ignorant of these things. I don't want you to not know. And so the, the ESV puts that positively. For I want you to know. 
brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Our fathers. By the way, just, just a side note, real quick. Paul's talking to probably a, a primarily um, Gentile church here. That's, that's us. We're, we're primarily Gentile. I mean, I only know of one exception in this church. Maybe there's others. I only know of one ethnic Jew. Paul's talking primarily to Gentiles, and he says, I'm going to give you some examples of our fathers, referring to the ancient Israelites. That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, because collectively they were, even though we're going to see here that some of them blew it, collectively they were God's chosen people. And so Paul is saying, he's, he's making this connection. You are God's chosen people. So they are, they are your fathers in that sense. Hopefully not um, in relation to behavior. Although, with the Corinthian church, unfortunately that's, that's going to be true. Certainly it is with us too in, in the sense that we're all sinners. But he makes this connection that with God's chosen people, our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Now, let me, let me go back to, uh, I think he uses the term all five times here. You, you can count them. I may have missed one. I think it's five times. All. He's making a point there. Verse 2. Our fathers were all under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses. In the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. Now look at verse 5. Nevertheless, and that's a strong contrast there, but nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And the idea there is that, that God overthrew them. I mean, He just scattered them. It's, a, it's kind of a mental picture of just bodies strewn throughout the wilderness because of their disobedience, because of their rejection of God's provision, because of their rejection of God's, God's man or men. Uh, some, sometimes when uh, the, the, you, we, you go back and read these accounts, I'll give you the references in a moment, but, but sometimes you, you, you go back and read these accounts and you, you find... Um, they are, they are grumbling against um, Moses and Aaron. And, and then the Scripture will, will just immediately say that they were grumbling against God. It kind of makes the, the two different things one. Um, so the idea is they're just, they're just rejecting what God has provided. Whether it's Moses or whether it's the manna or the land. I mean, the whole thing is... Bottom line is they're rejecting God because they're rejecting what He has provided. What, what He has done for them doesn't seem to measure up. So, in their minds, so they keep saying, why does, why does the Lord bring us out here? We had it, we had it good. We had it good back in Egypt. 
That's just, um, um, isn't that just amazing? I mean, you think about their situation in Egypt, the bondage, the, the labor, the hard taskmasters, that they could look back on that. You know, the oppression. Remember when Moses went to begin interceding for them before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh got mad and said, well, you know, obviously they got too much time on their hands, so now we're going we're gonna to keep... Uh, what, what we demand in terms of bricks, they're going to have to still produce, but now we're not even going to provide the straw for them. So they just were oppressed. And they look back on that and say, oh, we had it good. <laughs> we, we had it good and God brought us out here to die. He promised us a land flowing with milk and honey and what we got is a wilderness and Oh, there's, yeah, there's bread falling from heaven, but oh, we're sick of it. And even when God leads, gets them right to the border of the land, and, and they're given, by Joshua and Caleb, they're given an accurate report of what is there, and that it is lush, and a land flowing with milk and honey, they, they, they don't appreciate it enough to go in and possess it. They just whine and complain and grumble. But they were all baptized. They all passed through the sea, verse 1. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Yet, with most of them, God was not Please. Now, here's what I think Paul is doing. He's simply drawing a a parallel. He's saying, now, now all of you, all of you Corinthians, you, you have this in common. You've all made a profession of faith. You all have been baptized, not in the cloud and in the sea like the children of Israel. He's, He's just using that as an analogy to Christian baptism. It doesn't mean that all the Israelites were, were baptized like we're baptized. But he's just drawing an analogy. They, they had something in common through which um, they identified as the people with, of God. You know, they came out of Egypt through the sea, under the cloud, baptized, so to speak, uh, into Moses. And they all did that. They all participated in those things. They all ate the manna. Paul calls it the spiritual food, probably just because it was miraculously provided for them, and so the water from the rock. They all drank the water. They all ate the manna. They all participated in these things. And he's saying, this is the way it is with you Corinthians. You have these things in common. You've you've made a profession of faith. You exist now as a church, as a body, and all of you hold these things in common. You've been baptized and now... All of you participate in the Lord's Supper. All of you have been, quote, baptized into Christ. And the implication is that there are some, at least, with whom God is not well pleased. And it's some of these very People. Now, I think what, what he's doing 
is showing that it was not the walk through the Red Sea or living under or beneath the cloud, cloud by day, fire by night, or even eating the manna or drinking the water that was miraculously provided. None of those things guarantee salvation. Those things are not where you know, true salvation was to be found. Now, God used those things to bring them out and to supply for them in the wilderness. But as we just mentioned earlier, all the way through all that, they were dissatisfied with God. They were distrusting God. Instead of being faithful, they were unfaithful. To God. Now, what, again, what Paul is doing is using all of that to say, this is like your situation, Corinthians. And it's not enough to have the outward appearance and the outward profession. It's not enough to be baptized and to partake of the Lord's Supper. You can do that and still not be pleasing to the Lord because of your lack of faith, because you don't know Him. Now, the fact that they did not know God in truth, did not love God as they should have, manifested in their behavior. And some of it is amazingly similar to that of the Corinthians. And you can see why Paul draws on it for his, for his warning to them. This is in the next few verses here. Um, And and, and astoundingly enough, he even says, again in verse 4, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. There's evidence, uh, by the way, and we're going to see another one in a moment, but evidence of Christ's pre-existence, pre-Bethlehem existence. He was present with the children of Israel in the wilderness. He was supplying for them. He was their source of sustenance. Verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Alright, now he's, all, he's already shown how they have this common profession and these, com, these things that they did in common as God's people. Baptized, eating the manna, drinking the water. But, he goes on to show here, that their behavior exposes the fact that they don't really love or know the Lord. And he says that all of these things are done and recorded for us, as examples for us. Now, in this case, these are negative examples. I mean, he's not saying copy them. He's saying don't copy them. Don't do what they did. And this is the danger that the Corinthians are in. And we already know some of the reasons why. They're engaging in sexual immorality. They're engaging in idolatry. Very much like... The ancient Israelites. Now, Paul gives some examples. Verse 7. He gives four examples here. 
Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And I'll, you probably have the references in your Bible, but if you don't, I'll give them to you in just a moment. The second one, verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. The third one in verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor, and this is the fourth one, verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So, here here are the four examples again. These are things committed, done by the children of Israel in the wilderness. First of all, they were idolaters, number one. He's referring here to Exodus 32, verse 6. This is verse 7 in our text, but he's referring to Exodus 32, 6. Verse 7 here says, again, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Remember, Moses was on the mount receiving the law of God, and they hear noise from the camp, and they go down and, Aaron and the children of Israel have have created a golden calf. Or, you know, the way that Aaron related it was, you know, we just put the gold in the fire and the calf came out. I mean, I don't don't know. It's the strangest thing. You think he'd come up with a better story than that, right? (laughs) But he doesn't. Just put it in there and the calf came out. And they're they're worshiping, worshiping the calf and committing... Uh, all kinds of immorality. They, 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 they worship and they play. And that's, of course, meaning in an uh, illicit sense, immoral sense. And they even declared what they were doing, a feast to Yahweh. So here they are having, uh, engaging in idolatrous worship and calling it a feast to Yahweh, the one true God. And Paul says, don't do that. And we've seen this with the Corinthians, haven't we? I mean, they're, they're participating in, in uh, all kinds of sexual immorality, visiting temple prostitutes, partaking of meat, offered to idols, thinking that it's somehow commending them to God. And they're doing all of these things in the name of Christian liberty. We can do this because we're free. We can do this because we have the right. Well, Paul is saying, uh, more or less, you know, that that's, that's kind of what they thought. And their behavior actually told the truth about where their heart was. Secondly, they were fornicators. That is the, the again, this is referring to sexual immorality. Um, num- this time it's Numbers 25, verses 1 through 9. And there you'll find an example of uh, fornication and participation in sacrificial feast to other gods. Again, 
both of those things, both of which the Corinthians are also guilty of. You can look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll read that real quick. Chapter 6, verse 16. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So he says, flee. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Corinthians were doing that. They were committing that. Chapter 8, verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. Paul's saying some of you, some of you professing Christians, some of you in the church in Corinth are actually eating meat offered in sacrifice to idols, thinking that somehow it commends you to God. You're participating purposely, intentionally in sacrifice. Sacrifices to demons, what is in reality sacrifices to demons. Committing immorality, and then on top of that, you're doing it at the expense of, of uh, weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. So, again, number one, they're, they, they're idolaters, the, the idolatry. Number two, they're fornicators. Number three, the Christ testers. Paul says here in verse 9, Chapter 10, verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. They tested Christ in the wilderness. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among them. People began to get bitten and die. Um, And all of this was the result of uh, them becoming impatient in the wilderness. And they were... They were speaking against God and against Moses, and they, they were despising the manna, complaining about it. And Paul, again, is drawing a parallel. While the, while the children of Israel didn't like God's provisions for them there, he's saying, you are in danger of forsaking the gospel and pursuing worldly wisdom and knowledge, because in your mind, the gospel doesn't measure up. It's, it's not as pleasurable. It's not as satisfying. And you're putting Christ to the test. You're presuming upon His grace. And Paul's warning against that. He's saying, don't do it. And then fourth, they were grumblers. Grumblers. Numbers 14. Really, you have to read that whole chapter there to get the account. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the Lord and were sentenced to death in the wilderness because they rejected the land that God had provided for them and because they were unfaithful to the Lord. So Paul says in verse 10 here, nor grumble, that is, don't be grumblers, as some of them did. Don't grumble as some of them did. And were destroyed by the destroyer. Plague that God sent throughout the camp. For example, um, recorded in Numbers 16, verses 41 through 50. And Paul is using all of these things as parallel to the behavior of the Corinthians. 
He's saying those things are given to us as examples so that we do not do them. So don't be these things. Don't commit idolatry. Don't commit fornication. Don't put Christ to the test. Don't be a grumbler. Now, he gives an explicit warning. Verse 12. Remember what's behind this. Again, pulling from the experience in the wilderness, Paul says, they were all under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Nevertheless, verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. Or God was not pleased. Most of them being, again, everybody but four people. And even, even Moses and Aaron didn't make it into the promised land. So I guess really you could, you could, you know, because Moses, um, Moses uh, made, made the Lord angry when he um, did not follow the Lord's instruction, bringing water out of the rock. So even, even Moses was not allowed to enter in, and Aaron died and buried before they went in. So two people, Joshua and Caleb. When he says, when he says, when Paul says here, most, with most of them, God was not pleased. What you've got left after this wilderness experience, what you've got left out of the original generation that came out of Egypt is two people. And yet they had all these things in common. So keep that in mind as we read the warning, because that's how Paul's applying it to the Corinthians. Yes, You've all claimed to be saved. Yes, you've all been baptized. Yes, you all participate in the Lord's Supper and corporate worship. But, that doesn't mean that you're saved. Verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. See what he's saying? Watch out. Look, look out. Again, don't presume upon God's grace because you think, well, I, well I'm in because I've, I've done certain things. I do what other Christians do. I, I, you know, I try to be a good person. I, I try to go to church when I can fit it in. I try to you know, not cuss, chew, and hang out with women that do and all that kind of thing. I, I try to measure up or maybe, maybe you do all those things. Maybe you never miss a church service and you've never had a profanity come out of your mouth. And that's not grounds for assurance of salvation. I don't know how many times I've, I've and probably all of you can identify with this, I don't know how many times I've talked with people and they're just witnessing and I'll ask them a question like... Um, Something like, have you been born again? Or, you know, uh, has you ever surrendered to Christ? Or has God saved you? Something along those lines. And you, and you get this response. Well, I was baptized when I was 15 or whatever it is. That's what Paul's talking about here. You, you can't put your confidence in that. Okay, you were baptized. Okay, you partake of the Lord's Supper. Okay, you were right there with the crowd when they were doing all these things. Good! 
The question is, is God pleased with you? Are you living in a manner worthy of Christ? Are you living in obedience to Christ? Are you following Christ? Are you seeking to know Jesus? Do you treasure Christ above everything? Do you desire to know Him more, to know Him better? Do you look forward to an eternity of being in His presence? Not just missing hell. Although I don't want to, you know, I'm glad I don't want to downplay that. And, I'm, and, I, and if you say, well, I'm glad that I'm not going to hell, I'm with you. And I'm glad also. But is that the only motive? Or do you really desire to know Him? Do you really desire to be like Him? And by the way, I think that's, that's the evidence. In other words, how do I know I want to know Him? Well, because I want to be like Him and I want to strive for that, like we were talking about in Sunday school in Philippians. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's, there's real intentional effort to be like Jesus because you see Him as being the one thing worth being like. Because you value Him above everything else. And so Paul says, look, okay, good. You're in the church and you've done all of these things that the church does. You've been a part of the church life. Good. Now, let me tell you this. Take heed, watch, look out. The word is literally see. It's the word blepo, see. Look. Paul's saying, look, watch your step. You think you stand? Watch out. Lest you fall. You see, he's warning them against presuming upon God's grace exactly what the children of Israel were doing. We, we don't like your manna. We don't like your water. We don't like the land you provided. We, we just want to be special. We just, we just want to be saved from your wrath. I mean, just get us out of hell and let us go on and do our own thing. And he said, it doesn't work that way. If, if you think you stand... Don't put your confidence in all of these things. Baptism, the Lord's Supper. Don't put your confidence in these things. Take heed, watch, look out, lest you fall. Now, one more thing. And what a good thing it is. Now, there's a, in this next verse... There's an, there's, there's an exhortation, and I would say also a, a great promise. I mean, Paul, Paul sets it forth here as an exhortation. I, I think what he's, it's kind of a way of saying, don't make excuses. And I'll tell you why in a second, and we'll wrap it up. But, but at the same time, what a precious promise. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. It's interesting how the Holy Spirit addresses that. Because a lot of times what we, what we do right off the bat, especially when we're convicted of wrongdoing, we, well, my situation is different. My situation is unique. And we start to make excuses. And there's no doubt. People suffer. People suffer for real. People have hard situations. 
strong temptations. But, but what Paul is saying here, similar to what he says in Romans, where sin abounds, grace doth more abound. Now, that's an exhortation to lay aside the excuses and follow Christ. And it's also a great, great, a great and encouraging truth. Encouraging truth. So, again, he's saying you're not unique. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're suffering the same things other people are. In, in some sense... Many of the things that we suffer are the, are the same in principle as, as just about everybody else. I mean, it may play out a li- little differently, but it's this, in principle, it's the same. One person may crave drugs. Another person may crave illicit sex. You see, but you see, the principle is the same. There's a craving. There's a, 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 a lust, a carnal lust at work there. So if it's heroin or bluebell, I don't know. The principle is the same. It calls for the kind of discipline he was talking about back in chapter 9. And still talking about here. So he says, you're, you're not unique. In fact, you could even take your, your individual circumstance, even the way it all works out. Somebody out there is going through the same thing. So it's not only the same in principle, it's, it's even the same in how it works out. Somebody, probably multitudes of people, maybe nobody you know personally, but probably multitudes of people are dealing with very similar circumstances. It's not, and, and Christians. And so, he's saying it's, you're not unique. Tem- no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Now, here's, here's more of the exhortation and promise. God is faithful. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, now let me say one thing real quick. Because this is almost, I would say this is probably third, you know, as far as most quoted scriptures. You've got John 3.16, most quoted by the world. You've got John 3.16, Matthew 7.1, you know, judge not lest you be judged. and, And then this one. I don't know how many times I've had non-Christians quote this passage to me. This promise is not for non-Christians. This promise is not for unbelievers. Why am I pointing that out? Because if, if if you don't know Jesus, if you're not, if you've not been saved, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then this doesn't apply to you. you. You can't just scorn Christ, you know, just live your own life apart from Christ and then think, well, you know what, God is faithful and He'll just deliver me out of temptation. This is for believers. Now, there, there's a simple resolution to that. I mean, if you, you surrender to Christ. Jesus said, He that comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Once you know Him as Lord and Savior, all of the promises of Scripture, including this one, apply. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And you believe that's true? 
Christian, do you believe that's true? We, we get tested on this. <laughs> we do. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation. Now, here's, here's what I think is key. Because some people say, well, in fact, I had a lady at a church tell me one time, God must think I have big shoulders. Cause, and, and I'm going to tell you, not to make fun, because she had been through some stuff. And that's why I didn't just snap back, you know. Well, hopefully I wouldn't do that anyway. But, but that's why, I, you know, I didn't just come back with something. But she had been through some stuff. But I, but I wanted to tell her and tried to, uh, you know, tactfully. But God don't think you have big shoulders. And He don't think that. Here's the deal. Sometimes it may seem like it's more than we can bear, but He provides with it a way of escape. And that's what Paul goes on to say. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape. Let me just give you one real practical one here in the context of what Paul is saying. In other words, this would apply to the Corinthians. And of course, us as well if we're in the same shoes. Here, here you have some of the Corinthians going to visit temple prostitutes. They're participating in that kind of sexual immorality. There's a way of escape. Don't go to the prostitute. Don't go visit. In fact, don't go to the pagan temple. Just stay away from the pagan temple. When the world is doing their thing, having their party, having their own kind of worship, just don't participate in that. Stay away from that. Now, I just point that out because sometimes it's a lot simpler than what we think. It's not always that simple, but sometimes it's simpler than what we think. Are you addicted to drugs? Cigarettes? Coffee? Don't buy it. Alright? Just, just don't buy it. And if somebody says, here, have one, say no. Thank you. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to drink coffee, by the way. I'm just saying, whatever it is, just, just don't do it. That's a, that's a way of escape. And he does that. That is, with the temptation, God provides a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. You know, what Paul is saying here is God is faithful to make sure you endure. You can finish the race. You, you can get the wreath. You can achieve the goal. Because God in His faithfulness will enable you to endure. But here's the thing. And I'm closing with this. Here's the thing. You, you've got to want Him above everything else. You've got, you got to value Him more than anything else. Any temptation, I don't care whether it's, it's sexual or if it's you know drug related, food related, if it's just you know just pure selfishness that may be manifest in several ways, with the temptation, God provides a way of escape so that we may be able to endure it. In other words, what Paul is saying is you're called to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, and God has equipped you, He has graced you sufficiently to do that. Now, what are you going to do? 
That's what Paul is saying. Take, take heed. Watch your step. You think you stand? Watch out lest you fall. It's, it's unnecessary. My Paul says, I discipline my, my own body, keep it in control, lest while I'm preaching to others, I myself would be disqualified. That don't have to happen. God is faithful. You gotta want to know Him. And walk with Him more than you want anything else. Period. Would you stand, please? We're just going to dismiss with a word of prayer. And uh, we do have the fifth Sunday singing this evening at 4 o'clock, so I hope you can be back for that. Um, we're going to dismiss, but, if, but if, you know, if anybody needs prayer, if I can pray with you or uh, other people here would be happy to as well. Um, don't, don't leave here with any, any doubts about your relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do come again in the name of Jesus. Thank You for Your Word. Lord, open our minds and hearts to it so that we receive it for exactly what it is, Your Word. And Lord, so that we will, in truth, desire You above all things. Thank You for Your precious promises. You enable us to endure. You provide ways of escape from temptation. We thank You for that. In Jesus' name, Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.